Section 71 of Mark Twain, A Biography, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography, by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 175, The Claimant, Leaving Hartford. For the first time in twenty years, Mark Twain was altogether dependent on literature. He did not feel mentally unequal to the new problem. In fact, with his added store of experience, he may have felt himself more fully equipped for authorship than ever before. It had been his habit to write within his knowledge and observation. To a correspondent of this time he reviewed his stock in trade. I confine myself to life with which I am familiar when pretending to portray life, but I confined myself to the boy life out on the Mississippi, because that had a particular charm for me, and not because I was not familiar with other phases of life. I was a soldier two weeks once, in the beginning of the war, and was hunted like a rat the whole time. Familiar? My splendid Kipling himself hasn't a more burnt-in, hard-baked, and unforgettable familiarity with that death-on-the-pale-horse-with-hell-following-after, which is a raw soldier's first fortnight in the field, and which, without any doubt, is the most tremendous fortnight and the vividest he is ever going to see. Yes, I have shoveled silver tailings in a quartz mill a couple of weeks, and acquired the last possibilities of culture in that direction. And I've done pocket-mining during three months in the one little patch of ground in the whole globe where nature conceals gold in pockets, or did before we robbed all of those pockets, and exhausted, obliterated, annihilated the most curious freak nature ever indulged in. There are not thirty men left alive who, being told there was a pocket hidden on the broad slope of a mountain, would know how to go and find it, or have even the faintest idea of how to set about it. But I am one of the possible twenty or thirty who possess the secret, and I could go and put my hand on that hidden treasure with a most deadly precision. And I've been a prospector, and no pay-rock from poor when I find it, just with a touch of the tongue. And I've been a silver miner, and know how to dig, and shovel, and drill, and put in a blast. And so I know the mines, and the miners interiorly, as well as Bret Hart knows them exteriorly. And I was a newspaper reporter four years, in cities, and so saw the inside of many things, and was reporter in a legislature two sessions, and the same in Congress one session, 
and thus learn to know personally three sample bodies of the smallest minds and the selfishest souls and the cowardliest hearts that god makes and i was some years a mississippi pilot and familiarly knew all the different kinds of steamboat men a race apart and not like other folk and i was for some years a traveling jour printer and wandered from city to city and so i know that sect familiarly and i was a lecturer on the public platform a number of seasons and was a responder to toasts at all the different kinds of banquets and so i know a great many secrets about audiences secrets not to be got out of books but only acquirable by experience and i watched over one dear project of mine for years spent a fortune on it and failed to make it go and the history of that would make a large book in which a million men would see themselves as in a mirror and they would testify and say verily this is not imagination this fellow has been there and after would they cast dust upon their heads cursing and blaspheming and i am a publisher and did pay to one author's widow general grants the largest copyright checks this world has seen aggregating more than eighty thousand pounds in the first year and i have been an author for twenty years and an ass for fifty-five now then as the most valuable capital or culture or education usable in the building of novels is personal experience i ought to be well equipped for that trade i surely have the equipment a wide culture and all of it real none of it artificial for i don't know anything about books this generous bill of literary particulars was fully warranted mark twain's equipment was equal to his occasions it is true that he was no longer young and that his health was not perfect but his resolution and his energy had not waned his need was imminent and he lost no time he dug out from his pigeonholes such materials as he had in stock selecting a few completed manuscripts for immediate disposal among them his old article entitled mental telegraphy written in eighteen seventy eight when he had hesitated to offer it in the fear that it would not be accepted by the public otherwise than as a joke he added to it now a supplement and sent it to mr alden of harper's magazine psychic interest had progressed in twelve years also mark twain had come to be rather more seriously regarded the article was accepted promptly the publication of this article created a good deal of a stir and resulted in the first general recognition of what later became known as telepathy a good many readers insisted on regarding the whole matter as one of mark twain's jokes but its serious acceptance was much wider the old sketch luck 
also found its way to harper's magazine and other manuscripts were looked over and furbished up with a view to their disposal even the history game was dragged from the dust of its retirement and hall was instructed to investigate its chance of profit then mark twain went to work in earnest within a week after the collapse of the jones bubble he was hard at work on a new book the transmigration of the old claimant play into a novel ever since the appearance of the yankee there had been what was evidently a concerted movement to induce him to write a novel with the theories of henry george as the central idea letters from every direction had urged him to undertake such a story and these had suggested a more serious purpose for the claimant book a motive in which there is a young lord who renounces his heritage and class to come to america and labor with his hands who attends socialistic meetings at which men inspired by readings of progress and poverty and looking backward address their brothers of toil could have in it something worth while clemens inserted portions of some of his discarded essays in these addresses and had he developed this element further and abandoned colonel sellers materialization lunacies to the oblivion they had earned the result might have been more fortunate but his faith in the new sellers had never died and the temptation to use scenes from the abandoned play proved to be too strong to be resisted the result was incongruous enough the author however admired it amazingly at the time he sent howells stirring reports of his progress he wrote hall that the book would be ready soon and that there must be seventy-five thousand orders by the date of issue not a single one short of that then suddenly at the end of february the rheumatism came back into his shoulder and right arm and he could hardly hold the pen he conceived the idea of dictating into a phonograph and wrote howells to test this invention and find out as to terms for three months with cylinders enough to carry one hundred and seventy-five thousand words i don't want to erase any of them my right arm is nearly disabled by rheumatism but i am bound to write this book and sell one hundred thousand copies of it no i mean one million next fall i feel sure i can dictate the book into a phonograph if i don't have to yell i write two thousand words a day i think i can dictate twice as many but mind if this is going to be too much trouble to you go ahead and do it all the same howells replied encouragingly he had talked a letter into a phonograph and the phonograph man had talked his answer into it and after which the cylinder had been taken to a typewriter in the next room and correctly written out if a man had the cheek to dictate his story into a phonograph howells said all the rest seemed perfectly easy clemens ordered a phonograph and gave it a pretty fair trial it was only a partial success he said he couldn't write literature with it because it hadn't any ideas or gifts for elaboration but was just a matter-of-fact comprehensive and unresponsive grave and unsmiling as the devil a poor audience i filled 
four dozen cylinders in two sittings, then I found I could have said it about as easy with the pen, and said it a deal better. Then I resigned. He did not immediately give it up. To relieve his aching arm, he alternated the phonograph with the pen, and the work progressed rapidly. Early in May he was arranging for its serial disposition, and it was eventually sold for $12,000 to the McClure Syndicate, who placed it in with a number of papers in America and with the Idler magazine in England. W. M. Laffin, of the Sun, an old and tried friend, combined with McClure in the arrangement. Laffin also proposed to join with McClure in paying Mark Twain a thousand dollars each for a series of six European letters. This was toward the end of May, 1891, when Clemens had already decided upon a long European sojourn. There were several reasons why this was desirable. Neither Clemens nor his wife was in good health. Both of them were troubled with rheumatism, and a council of physicians had agreed that Mrs. Clemens had some disturbance of the heart. The death of Charles L. Webster in April, the fourth death among relatives in two years, had renewed her forebodings. Susie, who had been at Bryn Mawr, had returned far from well. The European baths and the change of travel, it was believed, would be beneficial to the family health. Furthermore, the maintenance at the Hartford home was far too costly for their present and prospective income. The house, with its associations of seventeen incomparable years, must be closed, and a great period had ended. They arranged to sail on the 6th of June by the French line, on the Gascogne. Mrs. Crane was to accompany them, and came over in April to help in breaking the news to the servants. John and Ellen O'Neill, the gardener and his wife, were to remain in charge. Places were found for George and Patrick. Katie Leary was retained to accompany the family. It was a sad disillusion. The day came for departure, and the carriage was at the door. Mrs. Clemens did not come immediately. She was looking into the rooms, bidding a kind of silent good-bye to the home she had made and to all its memories. Following the others she entered the carriage, and Patrick McAleer drove them together for the last time. They were going on a long journey. They did not guess how long, or that the place would never be home to them again. End of chapter 175 The Claimant Leaving Hartford Read by John Greenman